0: Hey there, Sports History Network fan. This is Arnie Chapman, your host, the Football History Dude. And today, we're coming to you with a different type of episode. Unfortunately, the time that this releases will be two weeks after a a member of our family was lost. Connor James McFarland, the son of Jeremy McFarland, the host of the Football His Family Podcast, lost his battle with depression. So Jeremy and I got on a call, we'll call it an interview, call it a conversation, whatever you want, because we first wanted to honor Connor's memory, but then also we wanted to make sure that everyone out there listening, and hopefully you can pass this message along too, is that it's okay. If there's anything going on, just speak up, reach out, there's people out there that want to help. So this is a quick little intro without any of the music, we're just going to get right into the conversation that I had about a week and a half after the passing of Connor James McFarlane. I really don't know Jeremy. I, it's tough for me to even know, you know, cuz it's a different type of question and I let's just talk go ahead.
1: Well, well let let let, let me uh, let me introduce it then. Um, if y'all know who I am, y'all know that I'm, uh, my name is Jeremy, and I host the, the Football is Family podcast. And for the past, I think, two or three years, I have uh, added in May a disclaimer about being Mental Health Awareness Month, and that over the years, I have become more aware of my condition i have depression and anxiety more more so the depression but the anxiety is there i understand what it's like to have a panic attack and feel like you're having a, her- a heart attack and uh i have uh my wife and i have three kids we have two that were born to us and we adopted a little girl and all three children have some form of mental uh health and i hate to say issues but it that doesn't for lack of a better word, my youngest has um, things that she is, we we think she had uh, fetal alcohol syndrome and we're trying to figure that out. My middle has major anxiety that we're trying to figure out. And my oldest had depression Uh, about two or three years ago, we started seeing it in him and I was kind of hoping that, that he would have missed it. Uh, Anxiety. And each person has their own thing, but anxiety to me, I'd rather have anxiety than depression any day. Uh, Having both, I understand what that's like. But uh, May 25th, my wife and my girls and I come home and my wife said, I can't get into my son's room. So I ended up banging on the room, banging on the door, and I had to break the door down only to find my son uh, had committed suicide. Um, first thing that I do is my, the dad instinct kicked in and I rushed my wife. She didn't see what I saw. I saw something that every time I close my eyes, I see, and I don't really have to describe it, but, um, I had to rush them into the hall. My two, two, my wife and my oldest daughter was screaming. My youngest daughter didn't know what to think. I ended up having to call the sheriff, the ambulance. Uh, He was pronounced dead on the scene. Uh, It started raining. Uh, I can remember it raining. And me standing outside in the rain, people said, you need to get in. the rain actually was something that was comforting. I had to call my mother and my father and tell her that their grandson was dead. He's 17 years old. Um, it was the moment that I—I I don't think I will. Well, no, I'll never forget. But I don't think that I'll ever recover from. Just a little bit ago, I was looking at pictures of Connors. His, his name is Connor James. He's not a statistic. He's he, He's got a name. It's Connor James McFarlane. Uh, I saw pictures of him when he was younger, and I said, I'm never going to get to see what type of man he's going to turn out to be. And here's the problem, Arnie, that I had over the next few days. People were calling and checking. What happened? And I had to relay the story that my son had died. And they said, what happened? How did it happen? And I got to the point where I was getting, I didn't tell them. I was getting resentful because the news in this small town of ours travels fast. I got calls from people within 10 minutes of my calling because they were listening to the scanner on on the, the police band. And they said, what happened? Well, what happened? And I wanted to tell them you could take a long walk off a short pier. But I finally got to the point where I said my de- that depression killed my son. He had come to us earlier. A few months ago and said, you know, he started having depression issues and we got him treatment. We got him talking to a counselor. We got him on medicine. And. The one thing, Arne, that I want people to to understand is that depression is a liar. It's a liar. It lets you see things that are not there, lets you believe things that are not there. And as a result of that, a person who is typically truthful will become a liar. Because the first thing that you will tell people when they ask, how are you doing? I'm okay. Because we're taught from a young age, don't express your feelings, your feelings aren't real, or there are other people that are worse off than you. That might be true. But if you find somebody with a bullet hole in their leg compared to a bullet hole in their chest, it's still going to hurt. It may not be life-threatening, but it still hurts. So when you, you know, I, I've had people all my life as a as a Christian, and and I'm not, I don't blame God for this, I don't. I'm a preacher. I've been doing this for over 20 years. I've had people come up and quote one verse in particular to me when I when I would tell them I have anxiety problems. They said, "Be anxious in nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, make your request made known to God." And they said, "You don't need to be anxious. You just need to pray." thank you. Not only do I feel anxious about how I'm feeling, but I feel bad that I don't trust in God enough. They don't see that as a byproduct of what could happen when you tell people that they shouldn't be feeling the way they do. Anxiety is a liar, but depression is an extreme liar. So we buried my... the next day I get in my truck and I drive to my family, the place where much of my family are buried. My granddad is there. He died on March 7th, 1993. My son was born March 7th, 2005. I went up there and I just lost it. And I asked my grandfather to watch over my son. My son was buried just a few feet away from my grandfather. And I had the chance to speak at my son's funeral. And I, I made a statement that this isn't right. He should be speaking in mine. There is, we were trying to tell him there's nothing so bad that you can't turn it around, given enough time. And he didn't believe us because depression is a liar.
0: So with that being said, I mean, you mentioned how, and I believe that too, it's things that will manifest in our heads that ultimately may never come to be and we'll, we'll, we'll clasp onto them. And it's very difficult in the moment to be able to to really think through that how do we as people, part of society, whatever you want to call it, maybe what are some of the things that we can recognize that we can maybe ask that question? Hey, you, as like you mentioned, I'm fine, but like, what can we do or what can we recognize? And just, just to take that one extra step or care.
1: Well, I I would say don't be a detective. If they say they're fine, don't go and just pry at them because they're going to continue to tell you that they're fine and they're going to get mad. Be a friend. We tried our best to be friends. You know, f- parents can't be friends with their children in the same way that we can be friends. But if you know of somebody who is struggling and that you can see it, but they're, be there for them. Uh, you can't take them to a therapist. You can't give them medication, but you can be a friend. Uh Know, know that your know your limits yourself. Uh I've got a hundred thirty three undergrad hours for my degree. You know how many hours I took of, of psychology? Six. I can help for a little bit. In fact, in, in the next couple of months, I'm probably going to start on a master's in in counseling because I found a purpose now. Um, most people know psychology from Dr. Phil. You are not going to fix them if they, number one, don't want to be fixed. And number two, you don't know enough psychology. And most people don't know enough psychology to fix people. Uh, and and I want to thank this as well. Most people don't think they need to be fixed. They're not broken. They just have some things that need to be tuned up. Um, just be careful how you respond to people. If they're saying they are depressed, don't tell them to you know stick a chin out and, and uh, turn your smile upside down. Don't give them the platitudes. If they want to talk, let them. You don't have to respond to people. You don't have to respond. If somebody's talking to you, you don't need to say one of the things for my son when we had the visitation is people are saying, I know what you're going through. Um, I wanted to tell most of them, no, you don't. Some of them have lost their kids. In fact, several have lost their kids. Uh but out of those people who lost their kids, they weren't suicidal. They 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 didn't commit suicide. They lost it because of a health problem or a car wreck. There's a difference. If you go up to somebody and say, "I know what you're going through," even if you do, it becomes resentful that most people are going to turn and say, "You know what? I'm not going to talk to you. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't get it, uh, and you're not listening." Because to each person, a loss is a different is is different because each person is created differently. My daughter, my youngest harmony, the one we adopted, she just started going through the anger part of the stages of grief about yesterday. I haven't even gotten through. I I think I'm still in denial. And my problem, Arnie, is that I feel like if I stop moving, it's going to hit me. And I can't stop moving because I don't want to. I don't want to believe it. You know, I went to his room today and his bed is not there. I was thinking my friend of mine offered me a PlayStation 2. And, you know, it's like, you got a PS4. Why do you want a 2? Two? Two's better in a lot of ways. And I was thinking, my son would love this. And I'm going to call Connor and tell him. And like, oh, I can't. When I look on Life360, his, his name is on there. And it's location, location uh, barred. Because he kicked us off to do what he did. And the worst part is, Arnie, he used my gun. I, I have a, I carry, I used to, I've, I've given the guns over and he used my pistol. Uh, we had the other pistols locked up, but mine was in my truck because when I traveled to Nashville, I like to be protected. Uh, so when people tell you, I know what you're going through, maybe they do. But the first thing that they do, that people do, when you say "I know what you're going through," is that they're going to turn you off. Let me let me let me tell you a little story here, Arnie. Um, Sunday, it was. In fact, it was two days after my forty third birthday. We buried my son at the Hilltop uh, Hilltop Church of Christ in in, um, outside of Centerville, Tennessee. And I get a call or a friend of mine that was there got a call saying there's been another suicide in Waverly. And uh, so we come back to, to town. And I found out that it was a member of the church here at Wildwood Valley. It was his nephew. So I told my wife, I have to go. I pull up. To the house. And. And I I had hung my head out the window because they were looking at me like, what is this guy doing here? I said, do you know who I am? And they're like, yes, you do. You don't need to be here. You need to be with your family. And I said, you know what? I need to be here. So I drove. I walked all the way up, found the father who did the same thing like I did. He found his son. And I looked him in the eye I said, do you know who I am? And he said, yes, I do. Thank you for being here. He had that same look of disbelief in my in his face that I did. And we, he told the story and he said, do you know what to do next? And I said, no, but if you find out what to do next, we can both do it together. I didn't tell him, I know what you're going through, even though I do. But I made a connection to him. And I guess that's the big thing that we're missing is a connection. Uh, you can tell people that you're there for them. If you're a prayer, a praying person, you can say, I'm praying for you you don't have to say words. You just need to be there. And most people that they'll remember who was there more than the words you say.
0: Yeah. That's, that's something I'll tell you that even I, I'm somebody that doesn't know what to say in moments like that a lot of times. And I ho- hopefully people are there to be for us, you know, be there with us.
1: It's uh. I've done several funerals over over my time. I've seen one was a 16-year-old girl who died in a car wreck. One was a 100-year-old lady who died in her sleep. I have gone and run the gamut of, of people you look at who died of cancer. I've seen everything that you could possibly think of, but I've never seen... A suicide victim. When I was a freshman going into the sophomore year of high school, there was a young man who had the world, you know, in high school years. High school is not real life, folks. It's not real life. But in high school terms, he had it all star basketball team, good looking kid, had girlfriend, whatever. We come home, we come back from break. And found out that he had committed suicide. And I always thought, growing up, I was always taught that suicide is an unforgivable sin because you can't ask God for forgiveness and you're committing murder. And I always thought that. But it started to dawn on me. Uh, Arnie, have you eaten today?
0: Uh, yeah, I did have a sub.
1: Did You You had a sub? So when you're hungry, do you eat?
0: That is true, yes.
1: Okay. So the human body is designed to stay alive. When you think, you breathe, don't you?
0: Yeah, we're, we have the uh, what was it called the the non non voluntary emotion or uh, want to eat and drink and all that stuff. Yes.
1: Yeah. So you breathe, you sleep, you drink, you eat. If a person takes his or her own life, then they're going against nature. Which tells me that there's something not right, something's wrong. so for those people who say that, I was like, God in, in my view, this is me talking here. God made us to live, and if we take our own lives, something's wrong, that we're not thinking straight. and I don't know that idea that it's murder I think is is antiquated and needs to go away. We just need to understand that when somebody when a family loses a loved one. Like this, the last thing you need to do is say, This, and I had somebody actually do that. This person is not going to heaven. And I, it took every bit of my own patience to not remind them who the father was. I, I'm not a violent guy, but doggone it, there was an image of how long I could spend in, in jail for decking a person. Uh, you do not go up to a person who's lost a loved one and criticize the loved one. Let me guarantee you that the family is already doing that. And that's part of grieving. You're going to blame the loved one. Even if the loved one died of cancer, you're going to blame the loved one. They died in a car wreck. You're going to blame the loved one. That's part of healing. You'll get past that. You'll grow stronger and realize this is not this is not the way life can be. At times, it could be a lot better than this.
0: You mentioned I had to look it up because I wasn't sure what the the different stages. I mean, I'm on PsychCentral.com and it says there's five steps of of the uh, grieving process. Here, you said you're in denial. There's anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. I mean, just through your your experiences that you've helped people go through. Tough times. I mean how how does someone how does someone handle that even as far as your your role as a pastor, right? So you've gone through this so much that's just a lot of weight on the shoulders to begin with. It's
1: it's a way uh, it's a way for us to, to heal if you go into acceptance immediately. You don't heal. Um, the anger part, like I mentioned, is a normal aspect of of grief because you're anger, angry at the world. Uh, you're angry at God. If you're a believer, you're angry at the person who did it. If it's a car wreck, um, you're angry at yourself. I should have done more. And that's the first thing that a grief counselor came to us afterwards and said, you're going to blame yourself. Don't. Well, guess what we're doing in a way. Um, Denial is, like I said, if I stop moving. It's going to hit me, but there's going to come a time. And I know this. It's going to come a time where I'm going to stop and it's going to hit me and it's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be very, very bad. During the time of denial, uh, which typically is the first thing that happens, because you're going to look at the person. I slapped my son. I did. Uh, I didn't slap him hard, but I slapped him. Wake up. Wake up. And then I saw what happened and I was like, okay. Denial is when you know the reality, but it's like you're in a surreal moment that you're watching a TV show. That you're in, but you can reset this. You can rewind it and then watch it again. Uh, the anger part, though, uh, resentment, there's a lot of stuff in there that and each person is going to be different. Arnie. Each person is going to struggle with. One of those aspects longer, the first four longer than the other. The fifth one, acceptance, is one that's going to last a lot longer. You're not going to like it. You're not going to agree with it. But you're going to realize what's going to hurt us the most is Thanksgiving at Christmas. That empty chair, that person who was always there, that's not there now. That's when you accept it a lot more when you realize it's just it's never going to be the same, but it's going to be something. What is it going to be is up to you to make it. Um and, and you are completely it, it's completely up to you to make it.
0: How have you I don't want to say how have you guided other people into going through the phases to like kind of I don't want to say take a head on, but kind of ease into it knowing I've I've warned them that it's coming to not
1: be surprised when these things happen, to not be mad when they happen, that it's going to one day hit you like a ton of bricks, and then it will get easier. Not easy, but easier. Every day it will get easier. And uh, you never... And, and I tell people, you will never get over it, which sounds negative, but it's true. You will never get over what you have experienced. But you will realize, the last year I have been in the darkest, my depression has taken me. We've had a flood here that killed 21 people, uh, COVID, just life and and I tell people I don't I never realized how strong I was until I had to get up every day. We're going to find out my wife, my daughter Kelsey, my daughter Harmony, we're going to find out that we're stronger than what we realize. Connor was not weak. But the lie that depression tells people is that it will never get better. Uh it can it can get better. It's just, it won't get better tomorrow. It won't get better a week from now, but it can get better if you give it time.
0: Yeah. And that's the type of thing too, that I I would like for anybody that's listening that just remember it can get better. Just, just remember that there's, I don't, I don't know what analogy you want to use right now. It looks like you had one that came to mind.
1: You know, you hear the story that the, Light at the end of the tunnel is a freight train. What if the light at the end of the tunnel is is somebody? Or what if you are the light at the end of the tunnel for somebody? You may not have all the answers. In fact, you probably won't. But if you're there for somebody, you don't have... Suicide is a statistic that people keep up with. Suicide has a name, and that name is Connor James McFarlane. Suicide has a name. That name is Lane Hemby. That's the other young man who passed away on Sunday. And what happens is you don't, when, you're, when you do this, you don't see the domino effect that just just knocking one over will cause so much grief and so much pain because you will be missed. You may feel like you're by yourself, but you're not. You never have been. You just don't. Like I said, depression is a liar, and it will cloud your judgment from what you really have around you and who you really have around you. And I... His, his funeral uh, was, people were turned away because they didn't have enough places to stay. They left. They didn't want to leave, but they left. Not because they were disgusted, just because they didn't have enough room. If he had only seen that, he didn't get a uh, field conductor for his band. No no big deal. Play for the band. He he would have made some poor grades this year because of his depression. Guess what? He had a senior year. He got a letter, Arnie, because of his AT- ACT. He got a letter from Yale thanking uh, congratulating him because of his ACT. Wow. Yale. Uh it blew me away. I like to think he gets his he got his brains from me, but I know that's not for true. A 32. And he was going to take it again. Uh, He left. The hardest part of that whole thing was seeing my grandmother, his great-grandmother, barely able to stand because she couldn't go up next to the casket. We had to escort her out. We had to help her out. I just... it it you just don't see the results of these things on this side of eternity you just don't and if anybody out there is listening to this and is contemplating suicide let me give you i know personally the thoughts about five or six years ago, there was it was a domino effect that hit me that I was looking for a patch of ice or two on my way back from Freed from Hardman to home so I can slip off the road and get in a car wreck and die and make it look like an accident so my wife can get the life insurance. I've never looked down the barrel of a gun, but I know the hopelessness that you can feel because of this. I know that. But let me tell you that there's nothing that you can't get back from. And that's why on on the Footballs Family Podcast, I do talk about these things. And if one person hears what I'm saying right now and gets help. And, and let me tell you, I'm wearing this uh, uh, bracelet right here. It says, uh, it says Tennessee lives count, never give up. There is a one eight. Let me pull this out here. This is not just a Tennessee thing, but can I give this out of to course, you? Of course, Yeah. Per- um, you can text seven, four, one, seven, four, one. And then it will ask you the state that you're in. And you type in the initial for your state and they will get you somebody within just a matter of minutes to talk to you or dial one 274 That one 1-855-274-7471. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's free. Uh, there are people that want to listen. You are not alone. I have, um, uh, right here on my arm, my wife and my sister-in-law and I got tattoos and like 43 year old getting a tattoo. I never thought I would, but I have my son's initials on it. But at the end, there's a semicolon. The semicolon I found out, cause I'm not an English scholar, <laughs> I'm not, Um uh, I barely speak Tennessean, but it's it's a continuation. The sentence isn't over. I put my son's initials on my arm and I put a semicolon next to it to say that my son's life, while maybe over on this earth, will never be done. My wife and I have uh, uh, talked to the we're going to talk to the Board of Education soon and we're going to be talking to the kids at the, the schools throughout this county. Um, I'm going to talk to the state representatives in Nashville. I hope to go statewide with this. Our kids need to know that it's okay to be not okay. And even if you think it's silly how you're feeling, you are feeling it. You are not just, it's not just, well, I'll feel better tomorrow. No, you may not. And it's only going to get worse unless you stop it to the best of your ability. And maybe your ability is that you go to somebody crying and they can listen to you. But you need, if you need help, call that number, get that text, text what state you're in. And within a moment, it should get you somebody to call you or to text you. And they were willing to listen, and uh, I I I've talked to you off Arnie.
0: Let's go ahead. Let's say that number again, so that if someone's listening and they just
1: yeah, let, let, let me pull that out here. Text seven four one seven four one, and then you text your initials to your state. For Tennessee, it's T N. Uh, but the number is one eight five five two seven four seven four. Seven, one. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and they will answer and they will be people on the other line that really do care.
0: And if you're listening to this, we're going to put some links in the show notes for you as well. So you can go on there and check out different options. Um, None of them are sponsors or anything. Just there's they're something that we really believe that you should go check out.
1: Um, and also, Arnie, make sure, if you would, to put my Twitter handle on there Uh, I am grieving but that doesn't mean that I'm distant I mean what I say if you ever need to talk message me Uh, I don't have to know all the details I don't want to know all the details if you don't want to tell me I'm not going to pry but you'll always have somebody who will respond on my end. And if I can't help you, which the odds are, I'm not going to be able to help completely. I can help some, but I can find ways to get you to somebody who can. Uh, If you need somebody, if you feel alone and you need somebody to talk to message me at Jeremy underscore McFarland. And uh, I do sleep at night sometimes. uh, But in the mornings I will respond. And if it's really urgent and I'm awake, I will respond immediately. Uh, so that's, yeah, please, please, please do that.
0: And we're totally okay with uh, sending a message, even if it's an anonymous message you need to just get something off your chest to so the Sports History Network, you can go to the contact page as well. And that just goes to my personal email address, the uh, Arnie Chapman, the football history dude. It doesn't go anywhere else. And If need be, we can help you out.
1: Yeah. And Arnie, if if Arnie uh, needs to send it to me, he can send it to me. Um, We can, uh, we got a lot of good dudes on this, on this uh, network that, uh, that will listen. Uh, A lot of good people that want to listen and that are willing to, uh, to help.
0: Again, that was a conversation that I had with Jeremy host of the football's family podcast about a week after his funeral for his son, Connor James McFarlane. Now a big message that we want you to take away is that we want to honor Connor's living memory. But at the same time, what we really want you to do is we want you to let you know that we're here to help. Jeremy mentioned it. He's there to help you. And we at the sports history network want to help. Or I challenge if you are someone that, doesn't know if you should say something to somebody like jeremy said just be their friend that's all you gotta do the sports history network is 100 a judgment-free zone for everyone no matter what you're bringing to the table now just go out there and hug your loved ones and connor i know you're listening we are not through because we know you are not through dude